Will this be the episode where I finally put my degree to good use? I used to write my thoughts on paper, and then I wrote my thoughts on Twitter. And then I thought to myself, hey, why not talk about your thoughts? My name is Sarin, and this is my podcast where I talk about things that keep me up at night. Welcome to In 3, 2, 1. Hey guys, welcome to episode 4. So I'm going to be doing something new in which I'll be releasing two podcasts a week, one on Tuesday and one on Friday. My Tuesday podcast will be more opinion-based, and I'll probably give you guys my take on things we might see on social media. My Friday podcast, on the other hand, would be a little more informative and factual. So let me know if you guys are okay with this format, and I hope I'll be able to keep this up. Anyways, let's get started. I'm going to teach you guys how to build a dinosaur. So first, what you need is a DNA sample. And how do you get a DNA sample? Well, you need to look for fossils. Turns out fossils are pretty shitty sources of DNA. And you can't find DNA beyond a million years old. So finding DNA from 66 million years ago? Ugh, pretty impossible. So what are we going to do now? Well, Jurassic Park seems to have had it figured out. They used blood that they obtained from mosquitoes preserved in amber. But there's a problem with that too. See, the DNA would still be completely degraded. And not only that, I don't think a mosquito would just feed from a single species of dinosaur. And you don't already have a genetic database for you to be able to identify samples from. So, let's revisit that question. Can you build a dinosaur? Short answer, nope. Long answer, no. Just kidding, you're better off doing other things. What about another famous extinct animal though? I'm thinking of a big brown hairy mammal with huge tusks. Do you think we'd be able to de-extinct a mammoth? Well, theoretically, we can. The mammoths died out about 10,000 years ago. But a tiny population survived on an Arctic island until about 4,000 years ago. Yeah, I know, it's pretty cool. Like, I remember there's, there's this meme that was going around about how mammoths were still alive when the pyramids were being built. Come think of it, it wasn't exactly a meme, was it? It was more of a very factual picture. Anyways, yes. So what do we do next? Well, you take the mammoth cells, you take some mammoth cells, you revive them, you merge them with a cell from your closest relatives. Now, that would be the Asian elephant. And you put that cell in a surrogate mother, and poof! You have yourselves a mammoth. That's right. In fact, just last month, Japanese scientists actually reported having awakened mammoth cells taken from a specimen found in 2009. Now, this specimen is a rather special one. It was found in Siberia. It's a baby, little baby mammoth named Yuka, if I'm not mistaken. And it was so well preserved that when the researchers accidentally pricked it, blood actually started trickling out. So these Japanese scientists, what they did was they took almost 90 cells. They identified about 88 nuclei-like structure or the nucleus where the, the genetic information is stored in a cell. And they merged this nucleus with the egg or the ova from a mouse. 
Wait, what? A mouse? Are you kidding me? Well, actually, this, this was just an experiment to see if it could work in the first place. And it did! So what's next? Well, now that you have live mammoth DNA and cells, somewhat, you can make your own mammoth clone. So how do you make a clone? Well, you employ a method called somatic nuclear cell transfer. Fancy term, I know. I'll walk you through what happens. So you take a somatic cell. A somatic cell is basically any cell that isn't a reproductive cell. Okay, so you take that cell, you isolate its nucleus, and you put it in an ova, or an egg cell. Now this egg cell would definitely come from a donor. It wouldn't come from a mammoth, because you don't have mammoth egg cells. So in this case, let's use the Asian elephant again. So you merge the mammoth nucleus with the egg cell of an elephant. And then you stimulate the hybrid cell. Okay, wait, I forgot. You have to remove the nucleus from the egg cell first. The elephant's nucleus. And then you put in the mammoth's nucleus. And then you stimulate this hybrid cell. And it starts dividing and proliferating until you have a ball of cells. And then you put that ball of cells into a surrogate mother. And like what I said before, you'll have a clone. So this sounds pretty amazing, right? It's like, it's like next level science fiction, man. Turns out this method is actually over two decades old. And this was the method actually that was used to clone Dolly the sheep. The very first clone mammal. And fun fact, do you know how Dolly got her name? Well, see, Dolly's somatic donor cell was a cell from the memory glands. And uh, the scientists couldn't think of more impressive than Dolly Parton's. Yeah, so Dolly the sheep got her name from a pair of tits. I apologize. So yeah, you've got your hypothetical mammoth clone. Now let me ask you this. Why should you de-extinct the mammoth? Should you even bring extinct animals back to life? The woolly mammoths died about 10,000 years ago, and the ecosystem that they lived in has since adapted to their absence. In fact, I don't even think sticking mammoths in the middle of Stockholm is a great idea. How would these mammoths adapt to the new environment? Now, speaking of the environment, let's talk about another form of biotechnology that raises even more serious environmental concerns. Genetic modification. So it's basically the deletion of genetic material or the addition of foreign genetic material into an organism's genetic makeup. Now, genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, actually play an important role in global agriculture. More than 90% of, of corn in America is genetically modified, and the US is the world's largest producer of corn. And you can find similar figures in terms of American cotton and soybean too. So, for such a powerful player, GM crops receive what seems to me to be more than a fair share of scrutiny and criticism. But why is this though? I mean, they're the main form of corn, soybean and cotton in the States. So what's the big deal? Well, it is kind of a big deal anyway. See, the most common form of GM is the Bt corn. Now, Bt refers to a foreign gene that's been added to the corn. This Bt gene comes from bacteria. But what does this gene do though? Well, it codes for a type of protein that's called... Toxin. Yeah, yeah, it's a toxin. 
But poison is a matter of perspective though. What might be toxic to humans may not be toxic to other animals and vice versa. And yeah, the Bt toxin only affects a certain order of insects, namely the corn borer, a pest notorious for decimating corn crops. Now, while this toxin doesn't affect humans at all, yeah, you need to eat an inconceivable amount of corn to actually feel any effect. But this can actually affect other non-target insects. See, there's this species of butterfly in the US called the monarch butterfly that's actually susceptible to Bt toxin. And to make things worse, they're actually an endangered species. Now, I'm not sure if butterflies eat corn in the first place. But the fact that GM corn can affect non-pest organisms is definitely a valid fear. There are other environmental concerns too. Engineering herbicide resistance in plants results in farmers going ham on herbicides. And this affects soil nutrients and it turns the land infertile after a few years. There are also fears that these GM plants may pass their genes to other plants, thus creating super weeds. Nope. I know you probably thought super weed is a strain of marijuana that makes super high, but it's just a plant that's super strong. There's also the problem of insects becoming resistant to Bt toxin, which is happening in India right now with its cotton. So with all these concerns, how do we deal with GMOs? Well, countries around the world have actually adopted and passed legislations that seek to regulate the spread and sale of GMOs. For example, if you were to plant a GM crop, you need to plant it with a buffer zone surrounding it to prevent genes from being spread to other plants. Foods containing GMOs must be labelled in the EU, China and some states in the US. Malaysia also requires mandatory labelling for foods containing GMOs. Many countries are also signatories of the Cartagena Protocol, which acts as one of the main regulatory frameworks for GMOs. So yeah, we've got GM crops covered, and there really isn't much to worry about to be honest, other than the environmental concerns. So let's talk about us then. Specifically, human gene editing. Ah, it shouldn't be a surprise that human cloning is banned. There's no way to work around it, it's just banned completely. Nope, nothing, no chance at all. Another form of genetic engineering that's banned is germline engineering. So germline engineering is the modification of an individual's genetic makeup in a way that makes this modification heritable. You carry this out on your germ cells, which are basically your reproductive cells, or in embryos too. Hence the name germline, as the changes are passed down through the germline. Yeah. <laughs> See, the only form of editing that, that's allowed is basically gene therapy, in which a gene is inserted into a person's cells in order to replace an abnormal gene. An example of this would be the treatment of cystic fibrosis. But what happens when you go against these legislations though? Well, shit happens. Now, back in November 2018, a Chinese scientist, He Jiankui, announced that he had created the world's first genetically modified babies. He had engineered them to be more resistant to HIV, which is great. The problem is he did it without notifying his university or the relevant authorities, or so he claims. He uh, also carried it out on human embryos. Now, the technology that He used is CRISPR, which is basically the in thing in genetic engineering now. It's a method that employs a bacterial defense mechanism that almost acts as a pair of molecular scissors that snips off inaccurate parts of the DNA. 
However, there hasn't been much research into CRISPR when it comes to editing embryos, and a lot of backlash her received was from the fact that they carried out a virtually untested procedure on two humans. Well, they weren't exactly humans yet, but they were allowed to come to term. And what if he had screwed up somewhere? What if the experiment failed? Is he going to answer for the absolute tragedy that would be the lives of the twins? Now, it's not impossible that China was aware of her research and just threw him under the bus in the face of international outcry. But his recklessness may have set almost all research into human gene editing back a few decades. Okay, here's where we get a little conspiratorial. It's also possible that these experiments may attract certain parties to get in touch with her in hopes of more research into human engineering. See, hers experiment, while unethical, is pretty damn unethical. It's also pretty damn revolutionary. And while he may, have, he may have lost the support of his university and the Chinese government, he'd definitely be on the radar of individuals or even organizations who are seeking to toe the line between what's legal and what's not when it comes to genetic engineering. Now, there shouldn't be a problem in editing human genes, especially when it's done for therapeutic purposes. In fact, Her's research should be celebrated if he had followed the right protocols. You see, while it's easy to demonize genetic engineering as the work of the devil, it's done humans a world of benefit. We're talking increased yields, better food quality, breakthroughs in previously incurable diseases. Genetic engineering, when carried out through the right channels, involves a lot of research, a lot of trials, and a lot of precautions. In fact, most research don't even make it past the research or trial stage. Any sign of uncertainties, and it's back to the drawing table. And that's why Hearst's experiment is so damaging. It just further tarnishes the image of a field that doesn't have the best of public opinions. See, science has always been about challenging what we perceive to be godliness. The idea of editing the human genome seems like a step too far. But so was the idea that the Earth rotated around the Sun back in the Middle Ages. But we're not trying to play God. We're just using our God-given brains to make the lives of God's other creations better. If you're looking for a religious take, that is. So yeah, what do you think? Should we revive extinct animals? Or should we instead direct our resources into saving endangered ones? What about GM humans? Do you think that'll happen someday in the future? I mean... We're definitely not getting the X-Men, that's for sure.